Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, it's that time of the week. It is time for the True Wealth Radio Show, the best Tuesday you've had all week, and also a ton day. Right now, everybody who's listened for a while, you know exactly what I mean. But Matt, the question is, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's when your Tuesday is really a Monday because Monday wasn't holiday, and so here we are. We're scrambling, and it feels like a Monday, but no, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, and you mix them together, so you got a ton to do in one day. Of course, it's a ton day. Uh, anyway, it's it's an interesting day too. We are, I would love to say, uh, totally equipped. We're trying to get a live stream going. We'll grab that in a second, uh, but intermediately, uh, you know, we're we're not live yet. We're going to try to pull that one off. Here's the deal. Uh, trains, mm. <laughs> like that's really the deal. We sat yep. in traffic for about 10 minutes, 12 minutes, just going, huh, I wonder how many cars are on this train. And at some point, you know, you're in the middle of an intersection or something. I'm like, do I put it in park? I mean, like, how do how do you handle this? So anyway, we, we're here and obviously the show is starting, but the live stream is not. So we'll follow up with that shortly. Uh, nevertheless, plenty of things to discuss, uh, not the least of which the market's had a solid week last week, and we didn't give it all up today. Just we did give up a little though. <laughs> we was still, we, you know, we was down a little. Yeah. And uh, it's been a really interesting one to watch, where things didn't get hammered so much. Yay! Mm-hmm. Is some of the tech stocks that have been leading the way down. Right. right. I mean, they're still soft, but like we saw a lot of people that seem it seems like investors are starting to nibble. Seems like I'm not convinced the party's like I, I'm not convinced that the the downtrend is over. I'll put it that way. Okay. Right? So I'm not convinced that we're we're, we're so not... there could be some more pain on the horizon. Well, you know, so pain is probably a f- uh, it's a relative term. It's a rel- and it's a it's a terrible way to think about investing, right? Okay. Because here's we talked about this last week a little bit. Here's the thing, Matt. Mm-hmm. What financial model or pricing model is going to win well i think it depends on your timeline too right like you know you give something enough time and that changes the entire question wouldn't you say well i'm gonna ask it again though okay what pricing model will win i don't know what i do don't either yeah <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> that's, we don't know that's the thing in so why am I asking the question this way, right? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because, well, it turns out that pricing is something that it it can be uniquely personal. Mm-hmm. But there's a million different opinions about it, right? If and and you're th- a lot of people are listening right now, going, "What the heck is he t- mean?" Look, if I was trying to convince you to buy something you didn't want, then the price isn't particularly relevant to you. It's like, I don't want it. I'm willing to pay zero. Mm-hmm. Go away, right? If it's something you desperately want, but I don't want to sell it, you may be willing to pay way more than somebody else, right? So it kind of depends on the circumstance and what is motivating people. And that's kind of my issue. We talked last week about the example we used. And remember, these are examples. They're not intended as investment advice, talked about Microsoft as a company mm-hmm. okay one could argue that Microsoft is the operating system of business certainly in the United States if not globally and 
government systems, mm -hmm. right? Microsoft is the largest supplier of operating systems for computers that run the vast majority of our commerce and government on the planet. Yep. Okay. Why are they 35% less valuable today than they were six months ago? Because of simple supply and demand. Well, because of the last transaction at the price that it was at, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's really it. And the reality is, if you want it out right now and nobody wanted to buy it, the price goes down, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the thing, right? Nobody else wants it and you don't want it either, so the price drops. But if you're not interested in selling it right now, this is the ride it out event because the pricing change the, the the pricing model will change, right? It the variables will too, right? Microsoft may earn more money. They may have other things that happen. There may be things that change the perception of value for that company, but it's that perception of value that's going to shift with time. I mean, it's true. You can't argue that. So if that's our issue, then we can really look at the entire stock market and all involved very, very different, right? Then it becomes, well, when are you going to take a snapshot at how you value it? Yeah, I mean, if you have all of your money just ready to invest, you might look at an opportunity like that and say, hey, that looks pretty attractive. Well, that's kind of the idea is what is your time horizon and what is your risk tolerance and what is your pricing assumption? Mm -hmm. Okay, And I think that the markets are very interesting right now because many people are assuming that the price is just I, – I still have people that are convinced that the markets are going to crash from here. Mm -hmm. Right, and I when I asked them, I said, "Well, what makes you think that?" I, and it's a whole number of things. Oh, well, you know, look at our government, or look at the president, or look at uh, the Putin, or look at this, look at that. You look at fuel prices, which you know we're, we're all gonna. That kind of reminds me of that YouTube video. Would you look at this? Would you look at that? Yeah, would, would you look at that? <laughs> would you look at it? Just, just look at that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> and we're sort of there, aren't we? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have received all kinds of uh, unsolicited commentary and opinion pieces and here check out this video and, and by the way when when somebody sends me like an hour long video and says here just watch this real quick well like you want me to watch an hour long youtube video real quick real quick <laughs> uh, about some random theory and then, and here's the signal. Every time I see a YouTube video that's really highly produced, mm -hmm. where it's like, oh, look, it's like a mini documentary. There's a narrator over it. There's all these different scenes and clips and this and that. And I go, well, was this produced to collect views on YouTube to get you paid? Or is this actual analysis? What's it for? Mm -hmm. And so my, my all, immediately I have all these bells and whistles and alarms that are going off going, well, careful, careful. I mean, you, know? you make a good point because you got to think about it. Fear inspires views, right? Like the news figured that out years ago. Like, hey, if we put enough fear into this message, people are going to watch it and they're going to tune in. And recently that's kind of started to backfire on them because people are starting to unplug. But for the... You know, for the yeah. most part, what you're saying is really true. So I think the news is a neat side story. Everybody should pay attention to this. Here's my, here's my theory, right? My mm -hmm. theory on the news. My theory is that uh, it's all evolved and cannibalized itself to the point that the loss of credibility is very understandable. Because follow what happened. First, we had 
only a handful of large networks, right? Large networks that serve markets over the air. And then we saw the cable networks begin to show up and start to compete for the viewership of the large networks. Large networks stayed relevant through specialized contracts, things like sports and the Olympics and that mm -hmm. kind of deal. So they stuck around and they were a large national audience. So it was useful for advertisers to reach lots of people. So that was the model for a long time. But then we saw the market start to become more niche oriented or niche oriented, depending on how you're gonna pronounce the word, right? So if you've got a niche market, then you're talking about now lots of cable companies that start competing for specific eyeballs, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, you come hang with your people, right? And all of a sudden they started poaching away the different eyeballs that would watch the networks. So then you started to see cable companies really go after the individual niches. And so you get into like the sci-fi channel or the this channel or the that channel and, and you know the all sports you know ESPN not one not two or three like ESPN the Ocho right yeah it just keeps going. <laughs> and so we saw the market get more and more fractured and then there was a game changer again streaming first Netflix and this is the story of where Netflix is going to struggle too mm -hmm. one primary streaming service but it was on demand. You didn't need to wait for commercials or anything. You just got what you wanted right then. And then they slowly incorporated those commercials in. Well, they're, they're, some of that is you know, talking about bringing that in, but then other services emerged to also do streaming, mm -hmm. right? It's become Hulu a really cutthroat market. And then HBO and, Star, and all these different, and so they keep fracturing the marketplace mm -hmm. till, and divvying it up until there's, you can't have, it, it's, it's, unconsolidating right mm -hmm. and so now you get major news sources that actually appeal to specific niche markets okay so fox news appeals to somebody different than msnbc right they yep. are going after different personalities and different advertising folks and so their messaging is if you will it's editorialized to tilt to that viewer mm -hmm. okay and so we fractured all of that. Well, the internet has done the exact same doggone thing. You're the product. They have to attract your eyeballs. So they're going to do it through fear or sex mm -hmm. or something that you've been searching for recently. Yeah, they're the algorithms. Credit card purchases. They're going to look at your search history. They're going to look at where you've been. They're going to correlate all kinds of different data and they're going to feed you things because they're trying to get you to buy. Because you're getting the internet in theory for free, but instead you're getting barraged with advertising and they're finding a way to break through your psyche to get to you. And, and they're getting really good at it too. That's what big data is really good at. I heard it's a terrible statistic that big data is really, really good at predicting divorce rates based on your search history. No joke. Yeah. So when you start doing certain behaviors, they're like, uh-oh, the divorce is on its way. And they're very, very accurate with it. So they know a ton about how people tick. Hmm. So take all that into the backdrop of how this news gets sold to you, how YouTube algorithms feed you things, all of that, and realize that they are relying upon your confirmation bias yeah. to keep you engaged in that feed. Well, and companies are paying a lot of money for your information now. I mean, yep. I got a letter in the mail just the other day from my insurance 
carrier, um, not health insurance, but, you know, auto insurance. And it was a notice saying, hey, by law, we have to legally let you know we're selling information about you to other companies. So here's your notice. And if you want it to be reduced, we'll reduce it. But you have to contact us. Otherwise, you waive your rights. That's the issue, right? Yeah. Negative consent. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. Just keep in the back of your mind the whole idea that you are, if you are the product, like if you're not paying for the product, it's because you are the product. And if you are the product, be very aware that one of the mechanisms that they're going to use is appealing to what you are interested in, and they will keep feeding you more of it. Whatever you consume, they'll feed you more, mm -hmm. right? Social media does it, and so does advertising, right? It is designed to in, you know, keep you engaged because your eyeballs are being rented to advertisers. Did you ever think you would see the day where when you're watching Hulu, you can choose which ads you want to watch? Like well, they do that now. Like, do you want to watch this ad, this ad or this ad? So uh, you want to know a dirty little secret? I do. All right. I'll tell you after this break. Ah, okay. All right, stick around, gang. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you're listening to The True Wealth on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to The True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with... Matt Dixon. All right. And we now have the live stream up. It is cranking along here, so you're welcome Where can to they find us. it? Uh, go to Facebook or YouTube. They're okay. both there. So Littlejohn FS, and you can check them out. Uh, here's the dirty little secret. And by the way, if you're just joining us, and again, if you're getting this on the live stream, there's going to be a podcast, and you can get the missing 15 minutes or so at the beginning where we talked about all kinds of stuff, including if you're not paying for the product, especially online or on any screen for that matter, you are the product. Oh, okay. And Matt, you started talking about apparently you can you can customize your own advertisements now on now on Hulu so you know you get three choices and then you pick how they advertise to you okay and so and then i said there i have a dirty little secret for you yeah right let I me guess you really enjoy getting to pick your advertisements i don't have hulu you don't have hulu nope you know what? I, it doesn't surprise me because there's like 50,000 different streaming services now. So it's like, oh, yeah. well, do you have Paramount Plus? Do so, you so we have very limited options. We have um, our – we still have Netflix despite okay. the fact that every now and then they do things that irritate me and I have to kind of monitor it as a parent with my kids. Mm -hmm. And we have Disney Plus because it kind of came with our phone package. Okay. So those are the two primaries. And then we have uh, a family share program with Apple Movies and stuff like that, where we do that kind of deal. But oh, and Amazon. Amazon Prime. Everyone Amazon Prime. has Amazon Prime. Right. So, so those are it. And the reality is, I don't watch a ton of oh me either stuff. Right. Uh, we'll watch mm -mm. movies sometimes in the evening, and I'm I'm really trying to take my own advice. This is well, not just my advice. I mean, I got this from other people. I'm trying to live this advice now which is to spend a lot more time reading. And I read mostly nonfiction. So it's nerdy stuff, but math this one out, right? Okay. If you spent a half an hour a day reading some kind of professional development or personal development, right? Then just in a work week, that work week you're gonna have two and a half hours a week, right? So in 50 weeks a year, what are you gonna have, right? Another 
Uh, you're going to have well, read a lot of books. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, so so every every month, if you're two and a half hours, so you're looking at 10 hours a month times 12 months, you're looking at roughly 120 hours a year. That's more than the credit hours you typically get taking a full load in college. Wow. So you start to do that, and over a course of two or three years, you're going to develop a PhD's worth of knowledge. If you do that for 10 years, you're going to have a really deep deck of knowledge. So, And your brain can retain it, too. Not <laughs> like You'll be like, I've read 75 books, and I remember all of them. <laughs> I don't know if it really works that way. Let me tell you about the 23rd book I read on page 47. It's, it's got some quality like content. I, I lack... I am not. Uh, are you trying first, to? Photographic memories are a myth. It's best I, there's there's only like five or six people in the world that have been documented to have legitimate photographic memories. And you're one of the five. No. Congratulations. <laughs> you are the one percent. No, I don't. The point one percent. That is inaccurate. That is inaccurate. Matt's just so you know you lock on a data that means something to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the key to all of this stuff is if you're reading stuff that you don't care about, it's going to disappear into the ether. But if you read lots of stuff and to me, it's like imagine just like when you build a house first, mm-hmm. you, you know, put in a foundation and then you build the framing structure and then you start adding the other stuff inside the framework. And then you start you know, putting up the sheetrock and decorating. Well, knowledge works that way. It really you does. Know, you build a framework and then you add to it and you develop. And when you understand something other things make sense too because the connections form between them it's really hard. like i struggle with names when i first meet people really i would not have guessed that yeah, it's it's i have to actively think about a person when i first meet them i have to like repeat their name in my head a whole bunch mm-hmm. and i'll often forget to do that but i'm very good at the details and their life circumstance so i'll meet somebody and i'll remember where they're from why they were there their backstory, lots of stuff. And I'll go like, oh man, I just caught all these details except for the one that's going to matter, which is your name. But funny enough, when I get you on the phone, if I hear your name on the phone, most of the time I'll remember it Hmm. because I don't, I'm not distracted by the other stuff. So I just take in your name and then keep going. And later on, so this happens when I'm doing like, like a phone service call or something like, oh, that's right. That was Tabitha or whatever. And at the end of the call, I'm like, oh, well, thanks for the help, Tabitha. You're welcome. I, I just remember the name. Who knew? I think that's off of a Parks and Rec episode where uh, the guy remembers an acronym about something in the room and then that person. And then they just correlate it and boom, they never forget it. Well, I should try that. That'd yeah. Be interesting. So anyway, uh, back to home base here. Okay. Uh, talking about why all of this matters. Like, why do we care about? So, first of all, Dave's memory, we don't care. Like, you guys don't care. And that's okay. You shouldn't care. <laughs> Matt just likes to tease me. Cause, I do. Because you got to seize these opportunities when they present themselves. <laughs> but I, 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 think, I, do, I put us in the weeds, didn't I? <laughs> no, no, I think I did it. It, it, it all comes back to the, the, the thread of how advertising and the media that we consume will be fed the things that will oftentimes confirm what we're looking for. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and confirmation bias is such a very serious and dangerous thing in the investment landscape because you can find yourself going down a path and developing very strong convictions around information that may not be fully accurate. Mm. 
right? And so, I mean, I think I get where you're going with this. So if you Google like, why is the stock market down and the computer registers that and it's, it'll, it could start feeding you with the algorithms, you know, here's an article on why the stock market is down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as an example, uh, one of the things, and this is, this is accurate. And yet we need to consider, uh, a lot of fertilizer supplies come out of Russia. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so now there's discussion about because of the interruption in the supply chains of Ukraine and wheat production, they have apparently have a very high wheat production they do. there. They do. Then what does that do in terms of potential food shortages? And what's it going to do to the cost of food when you consider the increased cost of fuel for both farming, delivery of food, and then also the increased cost of fertilizer because of scarcity, because of the lack of supply coming out of Russia. I would argue that we're already starting to see yeah. it. Well, we are already seeing it. My my point is, does this surprise the market? I don't is it, think know, like it If you does. discovered this right now, is the market going like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that. I'm Thank goodness they said it on the radio. Right. Right. No, there's people that are way smarter than us that watch this stuff and oh, trade they're way futures. Plugged in, right? Well, yeah. And so I keep trying to explain to people that the market knows a lot of stuff. The question is, and and some of this is coin flip, it's not really predictable stuff, is what doesn't the market know yet? And will it be worse or better than what it already knows? That's a great question. Right? So when I ask you, Matt, Mm -hmm. what, what do you think the market doesn't know looking out there on the horizon? The market doesn't know what the next catastrophe might be. Sure. And it doesn't know what the next blessing might be, right? Like, what if the war in between Ukraine and Russia just ends? Yeah, I mean, which could like, happen. Yeah. I mean, Vladimir Putin, they said, is really sick and they're giving him at most three years to live. So, what if he, you know, is really sick, like they say that he is, mm-hmm. and he passes and then. All the other Russian, you know, heads of state are like, you know what? Eh, that was his mission, not ours. We're done with this. And then the U.S. lifts sanctions on oil. Oil prices fall. I mean, who knows, right? We can just sit here and speculate all day long. Right. But right. we don't know. And there's a lot of different things that could happen that really make a huge impact really quickly on these markets. Because I think if you look at it, there's a lot of people that are watching this really, really close saying, is this a buying opportunity? Is this a buying opportunity? We're 20, 30% off in some different stocks that are pretty big players. Right. Where's where's my opportunity? And if you give the market a glimmer of hope, it could run back and it could it run could. back quick. Now, or what's the, the flip, flip side? side? Yeah, what's the, the flip, flip side? The flip side is, you know, <laughs> what if Vladimir Putin's really sick and he says, drop a nuclear bomb? Right, right. That would be a game changer. It no would. question. Uh, you know, there. Are, what if it really is that significant a shortage in fertilizer? Mm-hmm. Right. Or what if we have a, a, an, another disruption in fuel supplies? And uh, you know, well, I, I well, know, what if China invades Taiwan like they've talked about doing, and then the chip shortage gets ten times worse? Yeah. I mean, these I mean, are all things that could theoretically happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are some other things that are very interesting, right? What if, for example, here's one that I think is more real than people realize. What if the credit markets in 
raising with the Federal Reserve raising rates mm -hmm. and financial institutions following suit and realizing that they now have more risk. What if we engineered more of a credit crisis with the consumer than people realize? And what I mean by this is lots of people have said, you know what, the consumer, in fact, the, <laughs> this, is a, this is a point, this is going to take longer that I can really unpack before the break. We should do this. Give we me a lead into yeah, what so you're going to say. We want to talk about how credit spreads are changing and what that can impact, how that can impact the market. But let's, the music playing, let's grab a break real quick. Okay. This is David. And Matt. And you're listening to True Wealth, a news radio, 93.9 FM at 1240 KQED. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. It is definitely the greatest Tuesday you've had all week, and we're stoked to have you back in studio with us. Uh, Matt, yes. help me out. Where did we leave off? We left off with you saying, hey, we're about to get to some cool stuff right after the break. <laughs> and then we started making up a bunch of weird words. Oh, yeah, so that, that'll be a section we come to later. We, uh, we yeah. took a poll on Facebook and said, uh, we want to we add a new feature to the show, right? or a new uh, feature, event, whatever, but where we take financial terms that are fictional terms, and then we give them definitions on air. Yeah. Okay. So we got a few, and we'll try to get to that here in a moment. But what I was talking about was the blowout in credit spreads, okay, and okay. what that means to the market. And when you say blowout in credit spreads, like what does that mean? Okay, first of all, a spread, the, the most common place you're going to see this is in banking. Like the spread is the difference between a deposit mm -hmm. and what the bank can loan the money to somebody else at. And they, the spread is the profit margin between those two. That's what the banks operate on. Mm -hmm. But we also measure spreads between different length or, or credit quality instruments. So let's say you want to look at the difference between a 30-year treasury. And a junk or, bond. Well, a 30-year bond and a 10-year treasury. Oh, OK. OK? There's a, that's the 30-10 spread. Let's say you want to look at the 10-year treasury versus the two-year treasury. We would call that the 210 spread, right? And mm -hmm. that's a really common one, by the way, because that's 10 years is kind of the threshold where you start to call that long-term, right? Mm -hmm. And then two years is still relatively short-term in, in terms of credit quality. And, and so anything less than a year, they're not even really bonds typically anymore. You're talking about commercial paper or you're talking about uh, really short-term like notes and so forth. So a uh, the 210 spread though is the difference in interest rates between a 10 year and a 2 year you would expect 10 year rates or yields to be higher right but lately more risk well it's not always if it's inverted you've have a different problem and we have seen that a little we bit we have seen that that's yeah. typically forecasting some kind of recessionary environment mm -hmm. because if long-term rates are lower than short-term rates what that's suggesting is well the long-term prospects of the economy are going to get worse mhm mm so we, you know, we, but short term, you know, we, we're expecting things to roll over. So it's just, it's not supposed to be that way. We're right. supposed to have a curve where short term rates are lower than long term rates because longer term should be higher risk, right? Should yeah, be. So makes you sense. should be getting paid more for that. Well, what we're seeing in the economy right now is concerning where you're starting to see things like, and, and some of this is anecdotal. I'm still chasing data on this, but we're wanting to check this out is, uh, the potential for increased amount of repossessions of vehicles, for example. We're seeing people that went out and had questionable credit or they took stimulus money yeah, that they it, didn't have more of, and they used that stimulus money to go buy vehicles, luxury vehicles in particular, and now they're unable to make those payments. 
And so those cars are being repossessed. That is lower credit quality, right? But but meaning when you make loans to to folks that have bad credit, we call those, you know, low credit quality. And when those loans do not perform, meaning the, the person to borrow the money doesn't pay you back, then you start to go and repossess collateral. On one hand, that's bad sign for the markets when the bad credit starts to default, it usually means that it starts to cost more to get loans. So bad credit's gonna see an increase in cost or interest rates will go up on lower quality credit. And interest rates have already been going up, been so going it's almost up. like a double whammy. Well, it's definitely a double whammy. Now, what'll also happen is it could change the value of vehicles. If you wanna know how deflationary pressure could work, flood the market with repossessed vehicles. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden the supply and demand curve changes a lot, and if that's the case, then you're going to see a shift in pricing, okay? Especially if they can start producing some chips and getting some new vehicles. That would be the theory, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of these manufacturers, they are concerned, right? Hey, how are we going to? We, we want to. We have backlogged inventory. We need to push that out. This also, by the way, we're starting to see in retail. We're seeing a flood of, uh, like, look at like the Marshalls and uh, the TJ Maxx or the um, Ross. Just model. have a ton of stuff simply because of, people are closing up their wallets and saying... It wasn't just that. Backlogged inventory for a long time. It's finally catching up. And the mm -hmm. customer's like, we don't have the discretion anymore. We don't have discretionary income because everything got so expensive. So, I mean, that's a real thing. because a real it, thing. I mean, there was a report just yesterday about how much less gas American consumers are using. They're not traveling as much because they just don't want to pay the price of the it's pump. It's expensive. Yeah, it cost right? me $180 to fill up my truck the other day. Yeah, it is crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. So with everything like that, it's going to put a strain on the system. You're already seeing it in like lumber prices. They're starting to come down too. And you know, yeah, everybody wants a house, but not when your interest rate goes from three percent to five and a half percent. Right. All of a sudden, it's a lot more expensive. The demand starts to wane, and so the demand changes, and it's not going to stop overnight because people do need a place to live. But my goodness, mm -hmm. we're we're at that threshold where people just can't afford it, and creativity can only go so far. I mean, how many roommates can you have? Yeah. Right. So that's kind of our other issues at play here. Now, I I think that this is. Typically, when you start to see credit spreads like that widen a lot, mm -hmm. and you see a big divergence between good credit and bad credit quality, that has historically been something that is a sign that uh, a lot of the I have I have some other advisors. We've had kind of our own, uh, let's call it like an advisor mastermind for years. That has been a signal for us in the credit markets that it is going to be tough sledding for the stock market. So uh, there's a threshold at which the uncle point occurs. We haven't seen that so far, right? But but we have seen historically that when credit spreads get too awful, then that's a bad sign for the stock market. It usually means more downside risk. And I'm not convinced that that is out of the question because even if fuel prices come off their peaks a little bit, I think that the, the price of food and housing is still so expensive right now right. that folks are going to have to make adjustments in their budget absolutely right i mean like you just there's just not going to be the discretion available and so this is just a very real thing do you think that the fed might um look at this and say maybe we shouldn't continue with the rate hikes should we should soften up on that or do you think the fed's just gonna keep their their nose down and keep plugging away at this i think the fed is in a really awful position mm -hmm. of one they probably got it 
mostly right, but not right enough to not feel pain economically. Mm -hmm. And I think they're covering for a lot of the woes of Washington, D.C., and really, really th stupid policy. I'll just uh, say it on air. Yeah. Stupid money printing policy. Uh, and, and I can kind of get away with this a little bit because I, I sort of pounded the desk ever since the very beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, everybody had their reasons. And, and, and I'm not really saying, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. That's, that's not what's going on here. But my initial assessment was we're doing the math wrong on the cost of this thing. Mm -hmm. And that the money printing was going to have severe consequences that they would manifest in the economy through major disruption. And everybody kind of said, who cares? Because we got to save grandma. And I and so it made it sound like I was ready to throw grandma off the train. And that really wasn't the case. That's not what I was advocating for. But what I was saying is the costs associated with what we're going to do will absolutely be expensive and painful. And all we were doing was deferring the pain by printing money. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got, uh, you know, somebody online that I know, uh, I'd say he's a friend of mine who's online, and he pointed out that uh, it's not just in the United States. COVID wrecked a lot of stuff, but I could tell you that the behavior of money printing for most centralized governments, most fiat currencies in the printing, has created a string of challenges, right? Venezuela running 52%, according to this data that this oh gentleman just gosh, shared. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, so that's official hyperinflation. Okay, that's yeah. going to be a hot mess, Whoa. right? So what do you know what number they switch it for over from just I think inflate. it's over 50. It's like once you go over 50%, it's considered hyperinflation. Right. And, and were there in the Fed saying we were at 8, right? Yeah, well, our published is 8. Some but, some metrics are closer to 20. Yeah. But it but, feels like 20 to 30. That's well, what it feels it, like. Areas of the economy have been 20 to 30. Yeah. Right. We've definitely experienced that much in some areas. But I don't think that's really how exotic it is everywhere, mm -hmm. but the reality is where we feel it, it is, right? Like yeah. if you try to go buy ice cream and you're like, wait a second, this ice cream costs 40% more than it used to, mm -hmm. and the container's smaller, right? Okay? You're going to notice. <laughs> so that's real. And then people start making substitutions in their behavior and so forth. But because we can't just all say, I have 40% more money now. You can't do that. Just say, well, everything's 40% more, so I just have 40% more money. Voila, problem solved. <laughs> now, there is something interesting that I think we can I, – I think we should talk about this so that our listeners can make a funny connection, right? Okay. Uh, I, I'm going to tease this because this is – got to take our last break. But the issue is gold, right? If you've heard that gold is something that you should buy in an inflationary environment – is that the case? Ooh, this is right. a good way to end the show. Right. So we're going to we're going to talk about that after this last obscene profit break. Okay. All right, so stick around if you want to hear our theory on gold prices and inflation right after this. This is Dave Littlejohn and Matt Dixon and you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEA. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with Matt Dixon. Hey, if you're just joining us, grab the podcast. It'll be at our website tomorrow, littlejohnfs.com under the Educate tab, or, of course, your favorite streaming services, right? So mm -hmm. grab your podcast, and we're linking them all up and doing the jazz there. Uh, when we took to the break, we were going to talk about the connection between the markets and gold. I have a lot of people ask me about silver and gold right now. Yeah. Because inflation, should we be buying silver and gold? 
the really wacky thing about this is uh, year to date, gold is more or less flat. Um, it's it's gone up a little bit. It's gone back down a little bit. On a one year basis, it's actually negative for one year. At least the GLD, which is the uh, it's an exchange traded fund that mimics the price of gold, it's up over five years. Right? It's actually up pretty well. It went from 118 to 100. So it's it's probably in the well, last five years. Look up back 60, like 70%. ten years. Let's get a real long term look. Uh, let's see if we go back to about 2005. Right, it looks like mm -hmm. it went from forty-two dollars a share to one hundred and seventy-one dollars a share. So, what is that? About a four hundred percent increase since mm -hmm. '05. But the reality is that most stuff since '05 is up that much. Oh yeah. You know, we've had pretty radical escalation, and so uh, escalation, escalation. Right? It's one of them is moving stairs. The other one is a fictional word. We'll get to those in a second. So, I think that the problem here is that gold connects not just in US dollars. Right? If hmm. you if let's think about we just talked about how Venezuela's got uh inflation rates running at 52%. Right. Okay, hyperinflation. So right now the US dollar even though we've printed a ton of currency looks a lot more attractive than the Venezuelan dollar. Oh yeah. Okay? And the issue is a lot of other economies in Europe and uh, Japan and elsewhere, and even Canada, by comparison, because of the economic impact of COVID on those economies, ended up in worse shape than the United States. Mm -hmm. So even though we printed a lot of money and we have a lot of inflation, comparatively speaking, there are other places that are worse because either they have demographics or economics that look less attractive mm -hmm. than the U.S. So the U.S. as a dollar relative to the rest of the world the currency still managed to get stronger, even in an inflationary environment. Yeah, I think I saw that Europe has experienced more inflation than the United States for the first time in a decade. Right. Yeah. So that throws off the relationship between commodities, including gold, and the dollar and other currencies. So it makes it kind of weird, right? And that's part of what makes gold harder to call, right? If you're willing to Well, put... yeah, it is harder to call because you got to think... What's the other thing that we've thrown in the mix? I mean, gold used to be the way to hedge against inflation. Now people are choosing to use crypto. Bitcoin, yeah, crypto. crypto. Well, and and which has also struggled, right? Bitcoin's has. been crushed. You would have rather owned gold than Bitcoin for the last year. Mm -hmm. Okay, just so we're, or at least maybe not for the year, but the last six months, easy. Oh, yeah. Last six months, Bitcoin's off from its high of like 70,000 down to, I don't know, 31, 32,000. Yeah, it's the last half. So it's been really hammered. Gold has been nowhere near as beat up as Bitcoin over the, the same time period, right? Right. It's still mostly positive. Well, when you look at a country like Venezuela, they're not choosing to exchange their money out for gold. They've been exchanging it out for cryptocurrency. I don't know where it's gone. I can't even make that statement. It may be true. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Right. So the, it, it's it's an interesting one. I still think that Bitcoin, while a great concept, and I think yeah. that uh, the blockchain it's is a great It's too easily concept, regulated. And then once it's regulated. It's just it's... an interesting animal, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, how does it defend itself? You can say, well, you know, it's distributed everywhere. And so that's true. But how does it defend itself? Mm -hmm. So that I'll just leave that here, subject for a different show. But- Gold has not been the gold or silver, haha, bullet uh, <laughs> against inflation, right? It's actually gold has declined in price when inflation's gone up, and that's counterintuitive. But it has to do, in addition to gold, with other currencies and 
supply and demand and where and how other currencies are behaving, right? Mm-hmm. And competition for crypto with crypto now. So it's an interesting animal. I wonder if part of that is the fact that we're mining gold at such a high rate. Like the market's actually being flooded with a large amount of new gold. Again, yeah. things that I'm unaware of, but changing the supply without changing the demand would make that a yeah. very real thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's an interesting one. So I, I, I don't have the answer to gold. I just know that historically for me, gold is a tougher one to understand how it's going to do something for you other than be a store of value somewhere. And you operate under the assumption that gold will have future value. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the assumption. It, historically, it worked because it was small, portable, and very hard to duplicate. Right. So precious things that are very rare and hard to duplicate tend to hold their value if they're small and can be moved around. And art and stuff like that, in certain extent, you know, can also be considered a store of value right? mm-hmm. if it's the right art. So there you have it. Tricky asset to call, tricky market to call. But at the end of the day, we want to be very careful that we don't allow our confirmation bias or the the algorithms are designed to feed us to keep us paying attention to get us to lean too far into any one investment thesis because you if you bet the farm and you bet wrong right you you cease to manage your so risk so you haven't bet the entire farm on nfts yet no <laughs> does it surprise I you i promise you david i can draw something on a napkin over here and i will sell it to you for a low, low price of $200. It makes so much sense. I don't know how I couldn't do it. Yeah, perfect. We explained <laughs> NFTs in under 30 seconds. There you go. All right. For the for the last few minutes here, we're going to have some fun. Okay. Uh, and this is something I want to encourage folks to uh, do this online. You can go to our Facebook page if you want to participate. Uh, what we have asked for is financial terms that uh, they may or may not be real. Okay. But we've asked people to give us possible financial terms and we are to define them on air and we've had a few people that have thrown some out and so we're going to have some fun here and i would like this to become a recurring theme on the program so go to our uh, facebook page if you'd like and we'll probably come up with others later too but we'll start there or if you're watching this on youtube go ahead and put in the comments and give us any of the any financial terms that you would like Defined. The question is, are they or are they not real terms? The first one on the list is a real term. The question is, is this a real definition? The term is stagflation. Okay. Matt, what is stagflation? Do you want the actual definition? Uh, you give me your hit me with your best shot. Well, I'm gonna give you one that's funnier. Okay. So when I think of a stag, I think of going to New Zealand on a hunt, and I'm just gonna say I flattened it with my bullet. Stagflation. Okay, flattened, and I and I will go with stagflation is um, years two through five when a mature elk is growing. Right, <laughs> the so young stag. Is, so a, a, an elk between the ages of two and five years old that's stagflation. It's growing. Okay, yes. yeah. Okay. okay, I can see the horns growing. Okay. Next one. Next. Next one. one. Ooh, this is a fun fictional financial term: balanced budget. What's that? <laughs> yeah, that's I, I was like, yes, you're right. That is, in well, fact... How about uh, lofty things that politicians will tell you to get a vote? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is, I'll say anything to get elected, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct, $1,000. <laughs> okay. uh, and, 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 you know, I, I say that with all reverence because I know Alex passed away. Um, 
All right, next one, a dollar. Uh, something that won't buy you a McChicken any longer. Right, right. It's like a former dollar menu, uh, yeah, former <laughs> value menu price point. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. Uh, so that one's fun. This one is fun. Conflational. I think of confetti. You think of confetti? How yeah. is that a financial term? I don't know. Conflational. Okay, we have to work on this one with you. Conflational. Conflational. Right? Mm. So I just let's think see. of confetti. My mind is... It's, yeah, you, you're already on to dessert. <sighs> yeah, I didn't get my, my daily dessert, so I'm a little hangry. Okay, so I'm going to conflational. That sounds like, uh, I'm going to go with, that comes out of the Congressional Budget Office, and mm. this is the uh, mathematical computation for how much the tax bracket should increase on billionaires. Hmm. So that's a con conflational. We're, we're going to do a conflational calculation, and then we're going to uh, assert a billionaire tax. Hmm. Well, we're on the seas. I'm going to I'm going to throw one your way. Crypto cramp. Crypto cramp. Uh, look at that. We're out of time. Oh, we'll have to deal with it later. Who knew? <laughs> All right. Well, if you want the answer, check it out online. Uh, but until next time, we got to go. How do they reach us, Matt? 541-375-0898. All right. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Littlejohn Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.